Hey, what's happening, wonderful people? I go by the name of Adrian Daniels. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. You're now tuned in to the Sound of a Crowd podcast. Uh, this is the show where we chat with colorful creatives and entrepreneurs from a Ghanaian background, all have a special interest in the country of Ghana, bringing you one step closer to Accra, wherever you are. I'm really excited about today's episode. This is the first of a two-part series where we're focusing on money. I call it Money Mindset Month being at the beginning of the year happy new year if i haven't mentioned that to you already especially to my regular listeners uh on this episode we're going to bring on kwesi afin he is the founder of future banking uh, which is a fintech platform and they also deliver events based around fintech he's also the founder of the slow money club uh, which delivers financial investment financial literacy and property investment training and resources so for the show notes references and links and resources all from today's show make sure you head over to the soundofacrowd.com forward slash quasi that's the soundofacrowd.com forward slash quasi that's quasi with an a k w a s i uh, be sure to keep up to date with the sound of a Crow podcast on instagram and on linkedin at the sound of a Crow. We're also on YouTube, so just look us up on there as well, or you can watch some videos from the website. Now, having said that, let's get straight into the episode. You're really going to like this one. If For those of you really into your finance, your money and economics, skip to 10 minutes, and then that's when it really starts to get juicy. This is probably one of my classic episodes already in the books, so make sure you listen to the whole episode if you can. Hope you enjoy this one. Take care really excited about this guest I have um, here in, in the hot seat today. Um, I admire him and the way he invests and and everything that he's doing right now. So he goes by the name of Kwesi. Uh, Kwesi, what's up? Hello, sir. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Kwesi in the building is the Vice President of Impact Assessment in Group Strategy at Barclays. He's also the founder of Future Banking, a fintech ecosystem aimed at changing the face of fintech and make it more inclusive by helping underrepresented founders to access funding, employees to upskill, and students to find opportunities. Kwesi also hosts the Slow Money podcast, where he speaks to fellow investors about their property investing investment sorry strategies. Career-wise, over the last decade, Kwesi has gained a distinctive experience at several tier one investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Deutsche Bank. Wow, what a exhaustive resume place you are. <laughs> yeah huh? i mean i didn't lie on my cv i tell you that much no 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 you look like you definitely didn't you look like an educated black man which is what we like i don't know if i definitely, go that far definitely, definitely like that <laughs> um so yeah um crazy thanks for coming on the show how, how you doing good how's life how's life going yeah man life is good i can't complain it's yeah. been you know, interesting times for all of us, really. Definitely. Last, yeah, <laughs> six, seven months or so. <laughs> so. Did you ever think 2020 will play out like this, crazy? Like, right? Well, okay, so here's a funny story. Okay. 2020, when, when the year, turnaround of the year, I was in Ghana. Uh-huh. And so we went to Ghana for I Christmas. You, I think you all were. Yeah, I actually know people who weren't in Ghana. This, the like, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. my friends, true. You know, I don't know if you'll be listening to this, but shout out to my friends, you know who you are. Yeah, you're on the WhatsApp. I, I told you, I told you, I gave you two years' advance warning. I said, We're going to Ghana 
in the end, none of you came. That's all. That's all. But anyway, I was in Ghana. Yeah. And um, New Year's Eve, we were out. Um, it was fun. Yeah. I'll leave that story there. But <laughs> when I when I did get home, eventually, it was the early hours of the morning. Yeah. And my dad is always watching the news. Okay. He loves the news. So when I got home in the middle of the night and I turn on the TV, the first thing that comes on is the news. Always. This this like goes back to my childhood when I'd be out, come home, turn on the TV, always the news. And then I end up in an inebriated state watching random stuff on Sky News. Anyway, this time I was in Ghana and I turn on the news and the first thing that came on the news, actually, because this is when it was declared, was that China had said that there's a virus. Okay. It so was New Year's so Day. that's the first time you, you saw anything of COVID? Actually, it's Ghana. not the first time I saw anything of okay. it because in my, we'll probably talk about this later, but in my day job, what I do is something called horizon scanning. So we look at stuff that's coming up in the pipeline. Okay. So we knew this was something. We didn't think that it was that big. There were already reports about it. You okay. know, there was stuff, but it just wasn't a big thing. But it just so happens that as the year turned around and I got home a bit drunk after New Year's Eve, having the time of my life in different bars all across Ghana, turn on the TV and they start talking about this virus. I didn't think anything of it. I just like, yo, whatever, switch the channel, start listening to some Afrobeats or whatever. And then I went to bed. But that's how I started my year. The first thing I saw in 2021. Yeah. What year are we in 2021? Is it 2020? We're in 2020 now. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> See, this year is just it's such a thing that it's gone. Yeah, this year is just gone. It's but gone, yeah, yeah. 2020, when it started, the first thing I saw was the virus. And it's just weird. I didn't think that it would be what it is now, but it's just weird that that's how I started my year, with a news piece about COVID-19. Man. So Coronavirus. That, so once you saw that, did you kind of have some kind of um, discernment that it may be like a different year from from others? I knew that in terms of what it meant for me personally, I would probably have to do some work on it in my day job. Mm. I, I look at strategy. And so we, within strategy, we'd probably have to do an impact assessment, okay. which is my job title. And so... <laughs> Very it, fancy job title. Is it more like risk, some kind of risk management? No, it's completely different. No, it's I don't do risk it. management. In fact, I do very little management. Okay. It's something that I'm very proud of. I don't like management, but I'm more of a strategist. So the, yeah. effectively, we look at the problem, come up with the solution, okay. and then give it to someone else okay. to implement the solution. Okay. And so I might look at risk as a, and look at the strategy and be like, actually, this is how risk management should work. We need this risk scoring mechanism, this oversight, these lines of defense. Here, yeah, now go do it. <laughs> and that's the best thing about my job. Um, but yeah. So... Uh, Wow, okay. So, but, I, but to answer your question, I knew that at the start, I need to do some work on this thing. I thought that it would be just some work that I've had to do in my job. I didn't think that it would be something that would take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same here. I'm sitting in this seat, same here. I didn't think it would be like this, but hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. Okay, wow. So that's powerful. And um, what you and based on what you do in your job, um, strategies, I think that, kind of translates well to what you do outside your job, right? With um, different assets of investing, right? So you know, property, property, fintech, and, and, and other, area, other, other arenas as well. Okay. Wow. Okay, cool. And um, what I was going to say is, how did, how did it all start for you? So when did you start moving into your own ventures? So That's we're talking about investing into property, um, future banking, um, and the other things that you do, slow, slow money. money. Yeah. Which which one came first, actually? 
So I guess to, to it's interesting, obviously, as you grow up and then you can look back in life with hindsight. And one of the guys that I really like reading and listening to is a guy called Ray Dalio. And he always talks about the different stages of life. And I always feel that as you get older, you become more reflective. But if I look back when I was in school, I used to go to the shop. We, 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 we're recording this interview in Remedy. I'm actually from these areas. So I'm not, I'm not like this. Shout is out to the, Northwest. Yeah, Same here. <laughs> Wheezy in the house. Shout out to Northwest, the best. Yeah. <laughs> this is my end. So we used to go, um, I grew up not far from here in a place called Chalk Hill. And there used to be, I think it's a little now, but it used to be a Safeways. And it's on Blackbird Hill, yeah. around the other side. Um, yeah. And so we used to go there and, you know, I'd get my mom to buy me like um, boxes of sweets. Okay. And I'd take them to school and I'd sell them individually. Okay. And then use that money to buy CDs. Ah, so the hustler and you started from early. Yeah. So <laughs> at the moment I have, I, the other, I still, during lockdown, one of the things I did actually was bring out my old hi-fi. And my all my old CDs, so they're in the house now, and I have like close to a thousand CDs. But I bought all of these before I was sixteen. CDs, yeah. yeah. So when I was sixteen is when MP3s came out, and I had mini discs. So I stopped buying CDs. So all my CDs are before that time. So and, and this is all from money that I'd made myself. And at the time, I didn't know, but now I can wow. look back and I say reflective and be like, I know how I paid like thirteen to fifteen pound per CD. Yeah, for all of those CDs. That was the thing back in the day, right? Going to HMV, just looking at all these CDs. Oh, HMV, one, oh, Virgin. Coming up, Virgin. Oh, come yeah. on. This is bringing back the... the yeah, the reading, reading the Harrow, back of the... Super, going yeah, walking you, to Harrow. remember. Yeah, of course. Go to Harrow, St. George's, Virgin yeah, Megastore was the place. So it's HMV. Like, all of those places. And so, yeah, I used to go there after school. I went to school around the corner from there. I was in St. Greg's. So we jump on the bus from <laughs> Kenton to Harrow. Jump on, go 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 through the shopping center, check out CDs. That's, but but I look back now and I'm like, actually, that was a business. Mm. You know, that was entrepreneurship. It was. At the time, I didn't look at it like that. And I think even, I, I know even my mom didn't look at it like that because she was like, I'm just wasting my time. I should be having my head in the book, studying, <laughs> focus, go to school, it's, get good grades. It's typical Ghanaian, isn't it? Typical of Ghanaian, course. Ghanaian parents. You're, you're fully Ghanaian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't and when when I was in school, shout out to my friends again, my school friends, Aaron and Aiden. Shout they are like um, they they they're like my best friends. They they're Caribbean. Okay. And I we used to joke. I used to joke with them all the time. I was so mean and tell them about the fact that I'm you know I'm, I'm fully Ghanaian. <laughs> I'm pure. I'm from the Ashanti. You know. So yeah, I'm just full. There's no mixing here. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> That's just keeping it authentic. <laughs> and um. Yeah, so in terms of your upbringing, it was in Northwest London. And yeah, so what what kind of made you go into kind of finance and banking? Like, was it was, was it just the, the path that you took? Yeah, I mean, to be, to be honest, it was luck. It was okay. luck, I'll be honest. So I grew up, as I say, in this place around the ends. It was um, it was a council estate that we grew up on. The, if I, the career that I've had in terms of banking is not something that I would even have envisaged growing up. It's not something that I was even aware of. Mm. In fact, when I, I went to university, I was lucky enough. And when I finished, when I was in my final year of university, my friends, some of the friends that I'd made in there who had kind of gone to private schools and had a different kind of upbringing to me, yeah. I learned a lot from. Mm. And one of the things that they always used to talk about was investment banking. Okay. And that's kind of where they wanted to go. And they used to mention this company. And I used to call it Goldman and Sachs. <laughs> I didn't even know the name. So that's kind of where the seeds for the career came from. And 
So I, I didn't study finance. I didn't study business. I studied engineering, wow. medical engineering and material science. Completely different. Completely different um, subject matter. So when I finished, to be honest, and I looked at all the jobs that were available to me, these are jobs that biomedical engineering, so engineering parts for the human body. Yeah. And so my, my final year project was actually on 3D printing of cells for um, organ growth. So okay. basically printing cells to grow organs for people. Wow, that's something. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Maybe I should have followed it through, but <laughs> and now I mean I was using then I was using a 3D printer. We're talking about 2005. With, I was using a 3D printer the size of a room. Now they're like the size of a phone. So time flies. Wow. But as I was when I came out, I knew that I wasn't going to work in those areas because it just wasn't me. Mm. But also I knew that I knew that I was I wanted to make money. Yeah. And so if I put two and two together, I knew that investment bankers made money. I was like, well, these guys are like, that's what they want to do. And by hook or by crook, that's I ended up without really planning to. <laughs> yeah. So you just you just kind of fell into that kind of career path. And Pretty much. And, it's, uh, and it seems that it's a career path that's very rewarding. That's something that you've been very good at, clearly. I'm okay, I guess. <laughs> humble. Humble. I mean, I think that as with anything in life, you get, out what you put in mm. so i've always been uh, kind of dedicated to the craft or whatever it is that i'm doing trying my best trying to get better mm-hmm. trying to learn how to get better and constantly constant improvement constant learning i think mm. you know if i was if i was collecting rubbish yeah it'd probably be the same i'd be like best rubbish they'd hate me because <laughs> i'd want to win the rubbish collecting award <laughs> That's that's a that's a very interesting uh, metaphor right there. Okay, wow. Okay, and let's uh, let's let's keep it moving here now. Okay, so um, I know you like investing, and obviously investing it, it kind of spreads out into fintech and different areas. Um, let's talk about future banking. Actually, yeah. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, good question. So, future banking is an initiative that I started. Basically, because I saw two things. Um, again, looking in my job, my role in strategy, looking, doing something called horizon scanning, looking at where the opportunities are coming mm-hmm. down the horizon. My main focus is reg or market structure changes. Okay. But I apply the same ability to other things. So if I, within Barclays, I'm part of um, something called the Embrace Network, which is the multicultural network. Mm-hmm. We have the Black Professional Forum, Asian Professional Forum, as well as faith forums, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. And we, so the umbrella around that is Embrace and we support the networks. So within that kind of purview, I see a lot of the talent, the diverse talent that we have within our organization. Yeah, And I've done similar roles at the other places that I've worked, other banks. So I've had this kind of view. I think one of the things that was clear to me putting my strategic hat on was that there is a massive change coming in the industry in terms of the type of talent. And it's interesting, Future Banking, we started last year, but I think COVID actually <laughs> has kind of proven the use case. Because this was the point, I guess, is that actually there's lots of changes coming. And I'm saying this last year. <laughs> it's funny, no, I hadn't thought about this until this conversation. It's such a coincidence, huh? Yeah, I hadn't thought about this until this conversation. But So last year we were saying that there's all these changes coming, the type of work we're going to be doing is going to change. And actually the people who are most at risk are people who are from a ethnic or 
um, female background. Yeah. So the people who are less represented are probably most at risk Ooh. on the one hand. And then on the other hand, if you look at the, yeah. where the future is going, if you look at the tech, things like artificial intelligence, blockchain, mm-hmm. the payment space, yeah, all of this tech is still quite heavily lacking in diversity. Yeah. If you look at things like the funding that goes to female or um, ethnic minority founders, there's less than 1% of VC funding, mm-hmm. which is over a trillion over a trillion yeah so th- that goes that that's that's dished out in that sense and less than one percent of that is going to these businesses and so when we're looking at it from that purview it's actually there's a massive gap in the middle where there's this yeah. talent that's going to be out of work soon or their type of jobs are going away there's a new jobs which is underrepresented in the um specter and so how can we close that gap yeah and that's why i kind of looked at future banking so we do events to help upskill people we try and help um, startups with diverse founders access funding or fintech that has an inclusive agenda develop. And we work with um, developing uh, kind of graduates, um, London South Bank University and SEO to organizations that we work with, for example, okay. to help develop the, the talent that they have, the, the, uh, the, the students to make them more aware of the kind of opportunities that exist within the fintech space and connect them with startups so that they can get work experience and training and okay. things like that. So it's really the whole ecosystem wow. trying to make sure that the different pieces are all plugged in together. Okay. So it's, yeah. bring, it's bringing all of these pieces together, um, the startups and then the, the funding. And yeah. Then, so everything that the comes the talent as well. Yeah. So that, that, that's the, the key, the three key elements. So the startups, the funding and the talent. Okay, and what's the difference between the, the talent and the startups? So the startups are the businesses themselves. So we're talking about like the CEOs, the founders. The talent is the people that are going to work for them. So if they need developers... Oh, right, of course, they yeah. Need, your HR stuff. Yeah, that makes so sense. I mean, if they need developers, coders, designers, that's the talent. But if, if the people don't know about this fintech sector, they're not going to apply for those jobs. True. And so, but you, so there's a dearth of talent, diverse talent. This is what people always say. Mm. Whether it's true or not is another issue but they say that one of the reasons why they lack diversity is because they can't find the talent mm. okay well we have lots of talent <laughs> here they are and so that's kind of what, what we're trying to show is that actually the talent is talent is here yeah and then people say we can't fund businesses startups with diverse okay well the <laughs> talent is here the businesses are here and the startup ceos are here okay <laughs> well, where, where's, where's the issue so that that's basically what we try and do and we work with companies like impact x which is a venture capital fund that has raised a hundred million to fund black owned businesses. Mm. So we work with people like them. We've done events. We've, we work with the bank of England. So bank of England have done an event for us talking about the future of finance. Again, talking about from a kind of central bank perspective, Mm. how they see the future of finance going again to educate, help people understand where they should be positioning themselves, their careers, what their next move should be. Okay. Or even if you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur, where yeah. the opportunities will be, where you might be able to actually find, you know, a, a, a gap in the market because the regulation is changing or things like that. So Yeah, so much regulation changing. So, so much change is happening right now. And I think the, the interest rates and everything is, is changing as well. Yeah, it's actually interesting you mentioned that. I just, I read an article about, interest rates in the bank of england and negative interest rates actually but mm. yeah so much is changing in the world right now that all bets are kind of off and things that we didn't even consider as options six months ago yeah are now actually 
you look at it with a different purview. <laughs> I mean, randomly, I did a piece of analysis the other day, just okay. looking at interest rates, because I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this even before the pandemic, about whether interest rates could go negative. I'd never considered it. Wow. And then I then, um, in the last, in August, the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee meeting minutes, they said that they were looking at the mechanism of negative interest rates. And it's the first time in its 346-year history that it's ever looked at it. Okay, is that because of COVID? Because of, uh, one reason is because of COVID, because of what's happening in the economy, yeah. Economy, yeah. And so they're looking at it and they're thinking about it for the first time ever. And so I looked at this graph about interest rates. And one thing that was interesting to me is actually interest rates have been on a downward trend for the last 186 years. Mm. So actually... So it's something that you... Should, you you're saying this is something that you feel like you should have picked up before. Yeah. Mm. Well, so this is the trend. The data doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah. The trend is yeah, there. The data's there. The I just there. never hadn't, you know, before COVID, I hadn't even considered the possibility of it. But with hindsight, I'm looking at the data. Yeah. And it seems almost obvious that actually interest rates have been on a downward trend for a really long time. There have been short-term periods where they go up, mainly because of government intervention, because of politics, but the trend is down. So negative interest rates, whereas I would have said before, aren't a possibility now I think are a real possibility but that's an aside yeah and I think we could probably talk about how that's going to affect everything and yep. what dominant I think that's for another day yeah. absolutely yeah but, but I think if you, if you I wrote an article on slowmoneyclub.com okay and so people can end the videos people can bore themselves to death if they really are absolutely yeah so we'll make sure that we provide a link to that article as well so that all of the listeners can, can get that information and in terms of future banking in terms of like the, the fintech uh, stops and the, the you know the, the ideas that are coming out from you know fr- from from that side. Uh, what kind of what kind of businesses are we seeing? Are we seeing like um, crowdfunding platforms? Are we seeing digital banks? Like what are we seeing? That's a great question. Yeah, I think the to pick up on the crowdfunding point. I think the main thing about crowdfunding is it's democratized the ability to invest. Yeah. So crowdfunding platforms allow anyone to access early stage companies in a very transparent way. Mm. We mentioned regulations. There are lots of regulations in place to protect investors, um, mainly from the FCA. Mm-hmm. There's a number of yeah consultations. Actually, there's a consultation that's underway now. But the FCA really looks at the space quite intently. So there's a lot of investor protections in place. Okay. I think there, I wouldn't necessarily say that the ability to start a crowdfunding platform is, novel right now because that's probably maybe like six seven years ago when that was the new thing but if you go on a crowdfunding platform you can find lots of novel ideas that are new and have the ability to fund them okay. i mean one company actually that i founded uh, funded on a crowdfunding platform is revolut mm. yeah so oh, were, you, were you part of the um the crowdfund campaign yeah really? so, so, yeah so I, I put my own money i went on a crowdfunding platform and okay. got up my debit card and put money, put my debit card number in and put money into Revolut. So my that, favorite bank app right now. Well, so this this is the great thing about crowdfunding is that it lets you get equity. I think us as a community, yeah. we're too often we're users. If I, again, if I put my banker's hat on, you know, we look at things always in terms of debt and equity. And as a, as a, from, a, as a from finance, you want to be on both ends of it. You want to be mm. buying and having equity and stuff and you want to yeah. be lending money and issuing debt yeah and so what you don't necessarily want to be is a consumer (laughs) (laughs) so the key thing is that from a revenue perspective obviously i like the app i like the app a lot Mm -hmm. 
but I don't want to be just a consumer of the app because I know that then that just means it's a one-way payment. Okay, so what you're saying is what you what you're probably trying to encourage is don't just be consumers of of the apps or the the tools they're using every day. Be an investor. Be part of it. Have equity. Have equity. In yeah. It. Have a stake in it. Have a stake in it. Yeah. Be a stakeholder. If you use it every day, then it's probably the chances are it's likely it's it's highly investable, especially if they haven't even IPO then. You you could, if, if you're using it every day Then you are invested in it You just don't have equity in it I think this is the thing <laughs> This is the thing That people maybe Don't necessarily get That investments Come in many forms Equity is one form of investment mm. And I mentioned debt earlier That's another form of investment Yeah, so yeah And someone Pinged me on Facebook On yeah. Facebook or LinkedIn About this actually Because you can invest in debt Because debt is a form of investment People only see debt one way <laughs> Debt is an investment So Elaborate on that for, for the listeners that don't really get that point. Yeah. So, I mean, there's different. So, for example, if I give you a loan, uh-huh. that's me issuing debt. True. That's an investment. So, on the it's, balance sheet, that's okay. I'm issuing you debt you're going to pay me interest on. Yeah. That's my, that debt, your debt is my investment. 100%. It's like peer to peer lending or any, anything like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And true. So, you're, you're issuing, issuing yeah. yeah. You're issuing debt to someone else and they're paying you a return on top of that debt. The question is whether you can issue, yeah, the question is whether you can issue the debt and mitigate the risk. So you need to obviously not lend it. Like I might lend it, I might not lend it to you actually because you're not, you're not, you're too risky. (laughs) (laughs) But you need to measure the risk. And so obviously you don't want to lend it to somebody that is going to be too risky to lend to. Yeah. And that's where banks or whatever manage it. But the, there's yeah. two sides: there's that, debt and equity. So that's where credit checks come in. So yeah, yeah, that's where you, you put processes in place. But the key thing is that you can invest in debt, you can issue debt, or you can invest in equity. Okay. You can put money into a company and either as debt or as equity. And yeah. so if mm. you're if you're using something, you're invested. Yeah. The question is whether you're invested as a consumer. Okay. I.e., you're just giving them your money, getting usage in return. Okay. Whether you're invested in them in terms of debt, because companies issue things called bonds, and you can buy these bonds because the bonds are a form of debt. Yeah. Or whether you're invested in equity because you buy shares in that company uh-huh. as a shareholder. Mm. So I think it's about, and you could be all three. Ideally for me, I want to be all three. For example, if I take a company like Apple, yeah. when it comes to Apple, I want to be in all three buckets. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I don't have any Apple bonds, but... There's loads of bonds out there or ETFs that track Apple bonds, exchange traded funds. Yeah. So really, for I'm, I'm a massive consumer of Apple. And similar with Google, actually. But mm. if we take Apple as the example, I'm a massive consumer. Apple issue bonds. Apple has like more cash on the balance sheet than most countries. But it still issues debt. It, it creates commercial paper and then gets loans from people. Of course, in the back end. In the back end. Back end, yeah. So it's issuing debt. It's got equity mm-hmm. and it's got cash on the balance sheet to the point of a few hundred million, if not a trillion. Yeah, they got loads. Okay, so what you're saying is have a combination of all three debt, equity, and what was the other one again? Cash in cash, this case. Cash, yeah. Turns out, yeah. Like but a bit by Grant Cardone says cash is trash. Unless you can leverage against it So a company like Apple The reason why they keep cash on the balance sheet Is because they can leverage against it So let's say they have 100 million Yeah That means that they can borrow probably about 80% of that That's huge That's huge Yeah So it depends This is all financial engineering 
Yeah. But I think the key thing is for a company like Apple, engineering. Some people, th- that term will probably go over some people's heads, but anyway, I, I, <laughs> we I know exactly what you it. mean. It's all, it's all about leverage, huh? Yeah. It's all about leverage, yeah. And same thing, football clubs, pe- people that buy football clubs, you know, they probably take these big loans and, you know, even though they got money, they're, they're going to use someone else's money to then, to, you, know, you, you know, you know how One of goes. the best football deals to, to, to pivot is the Glazers buying Manchester United. Yeah. And I mean, like, if yeah. you're interested or if, you, if you're listening to this and you want to understand a little bit about financial engineering, uh-huh. do use that as a case study. Just Google and read, like, five or six different articles across a period of six months about the Glazers' purchase of Manchester United mm. and just see the story and the timeline and understand what happened. Because <laughs> that's, that's an awesome exercise in financial engineering. Very briefly, what they did was they bought a club with debt talked yeah. about that they yeah. took out a loan to buy a football club and then put that loan on the club it's just it's crazy it's a bit like Jose Mourinho um getting coming to Manchester United and then giving them the bill yeah for staying in the apartment staying in that hotel and it's crazy isn't it? it's just like that just it? like that it's, it's funny crazy. I was talking to someone about that really my Today. brother my brother-in-law's told me about that I didn't actually know that he was staying in the same thing as the Lowry yeah. Lowry yeah he <laughs> Gave Man United the expense to, rather than paying in his own pocket as a house or whatever. That's just I was talking incredible. to my chiropractor about that this afternoon. Chiropractor. Look at this guy. <laughs> but that's so funny. It's so random <laughs> that I was talking to him about that this afternoon. Jose Mourinho giving really? Man U the bill. for because we're, we're, Leverage. It's leverage, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about world. football players about and where they live it? and the fact that Jose lives in London while he was working in Manchester and the fact that Man U were paying his hotel fees. How random. But yeah, that's that's the point there. And I think if you look at the Glazers takeover, they they went to a bank, got a loan from the bank, used that loan. It's a bit like using a loan to buy a house, but then transferring the mortgage into the name of the house. It's mad, isn't it? That's what they did. Yeah. So they they got a loan, used that loan to buy Man U, and then transferred the loan to Man U. So it didn't cost them anything to buy the the club. Eight hundred million or something. Yeah, close to a billion, isn't it? Yeah. So, the club bought itself, only that they own it. It's it's just leverage only people on their level are only, capable of pulling off. If, so if they the know what they were, they're doing, the reason they're able to do it is because they have access to funding. They have access to the banks that will that the bank understands how this thing works, and the mm. bank. And when we talk about risk, the bank understands yeah. that the risk mm. is actually very low, <laughs> because when they buy the club. The yeah. club will pay for itself. It's just, so just, just genius, isn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so literally, this is the thing. A homeless person on the street could have bought the club if they had the access to the finance because they didn't need to put any of their own money into it. True, man. This is this is how you really use other people's money, isn't it? OPM. OPM. Other people's money. OPM. Let's, um, while we're on the subject of um, investing in OPM, let's, let's segue into uh, slow money. Why not fla- Why not fast money? I know, I know you're like Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you, I know yeah. you're into your rap. Yeah. Rappers always talk, always preach fast money. Why, why slow money? Why slow money? Uh, so, you know, like <laughs> as I said at the beginning, I was talking about how I started entrepreneurship like back in the day, so early, doing all this stuff in hindsight. And I've been through so many ventures. So slow money wasn't the first one. There was many, many before them. I've started different things. I've started charities. I had a charity that... um. Back in 2009, I started and I had funding from Apple, okay. MTV, a charity called Clubs for Young People. Mm-hmm. And they all funded me and they were really good. Then the financial crisis happened. Okay. And it all, all 
got pulled. Is that when you were starting Barclays or? That's actually no, but that's actually when I was at Goldman. So actually, when I was at Goldman Sachs, I, I had a great job there, working many roles. I ended up as a trader, working support, as an analyst, supporting the traders, and then I left because <laughs> <laughs> I was just a bit disillusioned, and I set up a charity. Shout out to Jason, um, season one guest who also left Goldman Sachs. <laughs> there you go. Shout out to Jason. You know the you know the feeling. <laughs> So I left and I just set up this charity. And so that project was really fun. But I learned a lot from that experience because even though I had so much support, so many good mm. things, they sent me to Ghana to do a video, actually. To Ghana, wow. Yeah. Um, I was a YouTuber before YouTube. <laughs> I think the video is like 12 years old and it's got like 12 views or something. But hey. Did you have any facial hair back then? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. But um, so that, that, that experience really taught me a lot. And then I ended up going back to Goldman's. I was really lucky actually because just yeah. as I'd hit rock bottom, wow, <laughs> all my funding was gone. All your funding was gone because you went back to Goldman's. Or? No, because the financial crisis came. Okay, um, yeah, of course. David Cameron came in with um, his friend George Osborne and the other guy Nick. Yeah, and they brought in this thing called austerity at the time. Explain. And, sorry. Explain austerity. What's that? So austerity was this. Um, Basically, they wanted to cut the budget deficit and they wanted to reduce national spending. Okay. So they did made a lot of cuts to public spending, especially to um, charities and to clubs. And I just done this. I just done this exercise for the charity club for young people, where they travelled around the country speaking to young people mm-hmm. about what they thought the future should look like. Yeah. And they gave us. We did this like two hundred page report. We pitched it to the then Labour government. Ed Balls, um, who was the chancellor at the time, signed it off. And they were going to fund this project to the tune of 56 million. Oof. The government were. And, you know, it was great. We, the charity cost young people at the time, we did great work with it. Then there was an election. Uh-huh. Then the government changed. <laughs> and then all that changed. <laughs> so, you know, as I say, that was an interesting experience because I was at this point where I was like, actually, you know, this charity work could become the future because I'm part of this great initiative and then that all got taken away i was lucky and fortunate enough because around the same time my old boss at goldman's called me back and said he's got this project going on and if i want to come i was like there is a god <laughs> i can pay my bills <laughs> so that would so i went back there and then that kind of I pursued, at that point, I guess I decided that I was going to pursue the career and work on everything else as well, as opposed to before that, where I was like, actually, I'm going to quit the career and focus full time on other stuff. But to answer your question in terms of why not fast money, I think I tried fast money (laughs) many times and it just didn't really work. It doesn't stay, it doesn't stick, doesn't it? No, it it comes fast and it goes fast. fast. It's very true. But um, I think for me, what happened actually... Was I went through this process um, of educating myself. So I, I went back to Goldman's. I was working there. I had a really good job, earning good money, but I was actually really, really bad with my money. Mm. So I was earning well, spending even better. <laughs> and, you know, just I was enjoying life. I spending can't lie. even better. Yeah. I can't believe it, man. Yeah. You're funny, man. I was, I, was, I was enjoying life. And um, shout out to Tarek. Shout out to Richard. Shout out to Mustard. I don't even know if it's still there, but you have more money, more of my money than my mortgage company. <laughs> so 
what what happened was I ended up just kind of taking a step back and thinking, trying to rethink my life. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really go on like this. Rethinking your life. Yeah. I just think I can't really go on like so this. Huh? Yeah. I think at this time I was probably about 26, 27. So yeah, I graduated like four or five years before. And I wanted to like figure out my life because I wasn't going anywhere fast. Job was good. How many I, banks, know. just just before you continue, just to cut you off there, how many mm. banks had you had you had worked when you were at Goldman Sachs? Because I know you JP, because you were doing some kind of bank tour, right? <laughs> JP, Deutsche Bank. <laughs> Goldman was actually the first. <laughs> Goldman was the first. Goldman was the okay, first. So, so you went on to wake, work for yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. So government was where I started. Wealth, and then wealth management, huh? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the interesting thing was I was working in banking. I was really good at my job, but I knew nothing about personal finance, personal oh. savings, personal investment. That's the biggest irony, isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 it's only ironic if you don't work in banking. Yeah. If you work in banking, you realize that it's the norm. Okay. So I, w- I, wouldn't, I would say that there's only a slightly higher level of personal financial intelligence in banking and finance employees than there is in the general population. Because okay. a lot of them are very specialist and very skilled at a very specific thing. You, you could take someone who works in banking, but they work in compliance. Mm. They have nothing to do with money. So they have no relationship with investing, finance, or any of that. And so I think it's it's a common misconception. But I mean, I was very good at equities trading, for example, but and to this day, I'm really bad at saving. I mean, now interest rates are so low that it's pointless. But well, I mean, if you're putting your money into assets or different assets, I guess that does the saving for you. Well, to an extent, but as for example, when I fast money versus slow money. So yeah. the mistake I was making back then was fast money. I okay. was trading, okay. and so I was getting into. I remember, for example. Oh. What kind of trading were we doing? Day trading, binary yeah. trading, what kind of trading were you doing? Day trading, Day trading. equities. I remember, <laughs> for example, um, I don't know if you remember Northern Rock. Yeah, I remember Northern Rock. Yeah, they yeah. went bust like, was it Virgin? The Virgin? Like, no, Virgin didn't go bust, time? but uh, um, Lehman Brothers went bust. This yeah. is around the time when I started actually at Goldman. So September 2007, October time. Northern Rock went bust. I mean, I was trading Northern Rock all the way down. Wow. All the way down, I was trying to make my money back. <laughs> And it was really hard when you're, you know, trying to do a full-time job and manage a highly volatile, <laughs> I want to say investment, but that's the wrong adjective, highly volatile transaction. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to respond to my boss's email. On the other hand, I know that I'm losing money by the second, you know, that's fast money. So, go, yes. when I, I, you know, I went to a point where it was going up. I rode the wave up, I rode the wave down. Yeah. So I made money fast. I lost money fast. True. But what I learned gambling, from that is, huh? like, like, it is gambling. Like it is Vegas, gambling. Basically. Casino banking, as yeah. Vince Cable called it at the time. But um, what I did for after that is I took a step back and I educated myself. I read loads of books, okay. learned a lot, okay, studied. Okay. And, you know, one of my favorite books that I discovered at that point was a book called The Intelligent Investor yeah. with Benjamin Graham. Okay. And um, here's another book called Securities Analysis, which is kind of like my bible it's a a textbook type thing but you know it's not the kind of book you read cover to cover but it's the kind of book that if i have any question about anything or i'm in any doubt i go to the book on that topic on that subject okay it's like a true north kind of thing yeah always go back to it yeah so those two books really kind of shaped everything that happened since so i started at that point i started reading these books doing a lot of writing yeah and just gathering my thought my thoughts and processing it and then putting it into action. 
So I started taking the concept, coming up with my own investment philosophy, coming up with the strategy and then investing. Mm. I did that for a bit and kind of through that, managed to build that up and divest some of that into property. Okay. And again, so, so I took that template and then I applied it to property. Okay. So I did pretty much the same thing, followed a similar process, followed the investment strategy mm-hmm. and applied that to, so then did the property side of it. And then after that is when I started Slow Money. Okay. So after that, it was when a lot of people were asking me, because actually, shout out to my friends again, you know who you are, but there was a point in time when I when I first was writing all of this down and processing it mentally. Yeah. I was reading other books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I and Casper Quadrant, which is a better book. Lots of books you've shared that will have everything in the show notes, guys. Yeah. And so I was reading those books and taking that content and I was, you know, going to my friends and be like, hey guys, you know, check this out. Yeah. Hey guys, you know, we should do this or whatever. Okay. And a lot of my friends that I'm talking about are not necessarily the friends that I grew up with on a counselor estate. These are friends that I went to uni with or worked with. Okay. So they were professionals, had good incomes, Mm. but they just weren't with it. They weren't necessarily bought into it at that point in time. Okay. And so... You you caught on early. I don't know if I caught on early because I'm sure other people catch on earlier, but I just caught on. I just happened to catch on. Mm. And so as, as I did it, they weren't necessarily with it in the beginning. Then they saw the outcomes. Then they were all like, Hold up, you know what's <laughs> going on. Always the case, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, but it wasn't. But I told it wasn't you just, so. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, guys, come on. <laughs> I told you. I, I sent them the Google Drive folder with the <laughs> files that I created and the agreements that I made. <laughs> I'm a bastard. I know. Wow. Shout out to my friend Sam. He always says that. <laughs> Shout out to Sam. Yeah. And, you know, and hence the birth of Slow Money. And, yeah. Um, obviously, I checked out Slow Money and, you know, I checked out the content. Of course, I was, I was at your event last last year. Of course. What was it called? I can't remember the name, but I mean. Black was, Excellence. Black Excellence. Was, that's the property one. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. You know, they had TJ, you had Stephanie, you had. Um, yep. Aisha. Aisha. Stephanie. You had some. You said Stephanie. Sabrina. Sabrina. Ooh, you had some juggernauts, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Killing well, it, all great. killing it in the in the in the in the individual property strategy, and um, I think that's when I was kind of first exposed. It was soon before then I was ex- you know I was exposed to the whole property investing world. So for me, that year that was like the best property event I went to. Thank you. you did a really good job presenting, you know, representing Ghana, Vikente, and everything. <laughs> I was like, who is this guy, man? This guy, I've, I haven't seen him around, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad event. you liked it. That was a great event and you brought all of these people together and I liked the breakout rooms and everything. That was a fantastic event. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll have everything in the show notes, you know, giving you more information about where you can check out what the event was about. Um, but yeah, back to what I was discussing. Um, I, I like um, the concept of slow money, mm-hmm. how you kind of brought it about because obviously just looking into what slow money is, was all about and just learning about it from you. Um, it's essentially, it's essentially an extension of you, right? Um, you, you, you're trying to, you've, you've gone out, you've read these books, you've gone, you've done these jobs, you've, you've, you've gone out, you've taken action with these different investment strategies and you now want to kind of give back in a way. Am I, yeah. am I correct? Yeah. I definitely want to give back. I, you know, to go back to the point actually I made about one of my idols, um, 
the idea of principles is really important to me. Mm. So I'm talking about Ray Dalio, and actually, this is another book. His book is actually called Principles. <laughs> I love that book. Yeah, but Ray Dalio talks a lot about principles. Okay, and so it's kind of through that that when I was reading a lot of this stuff, I came up with the Ten Money Commandments. <laughs> and What's the difference between Ten Money Commandments and and the, the rules? The rules, rules of money is that the same thing? Kind of no, thing? I mean the. The rules are the rules, but the money commandments are effectively what I did was I took all of the content that I had read. I drew this, I put together this massive spreadsheet of all of the stuff that they had in it. Yeah. And I looked across the synergies of all of them. Yeah. And I realized that there was a thread across all of them. Wow. And so the main things, it covers three general concepts, which is around mindset. That not, not the technical side of, not, not even before you get to even the technical side is the mindset side. Yeah. Things like limiting beliefs, things like convincing yourself that you can do it, mm-hmm. things like understanding, you know. And then there's the technical things like getting out of debt or having a different relationship with debt, like getting into debt, <laughs> you know, and understanding that you can invest in that. Yeah. And so it was just taking, actually realizing that all of these have the same thread through them. So, while I was reading lots of different books, the content wasn't actually that different within them. Okay. And so it. that's basically how I came up with the, the 10 money commandments. 10 money commandments, okay. Yeah, and so from there is how I kind of I shared that and there was some interest in it. And it was from there really that I thought this is something that I can, I'm happy to share with the world, but more so bring other people in. Okay. So the ecosystem, so, you know, to, to talk to your point, so Black Excellence event last Black History Month. Mm-hmm. We're going to have another one this year too. But the one last year was really about going out. So I came up with this idea. I'm here doing my thing. But I was like, actually, mm-hmm. there must be other people like me who are out there doing it. Yeah. And other people like you who are interested in it. Yeah. And so how can I bring that together? And that's when I started Slow Money Events. So Black Excellence was actually Slow Money 4. Yes. Slow Money 4? Yeah, that was the fourth event. Oh, fourth event. Yeah. Wow, okay. So you've been doing events. Well, last, last year was the first time. It's funny. Last year was the... So Slow Money started before Future Banking started last year. Last year I did Slow Money and Future Banking events. Okay. So Future okay. Banking... So the actual events yeah. itself. Slow Money started before, before 2015, 2016, but the events started last year. Okay. And in March last year, I'd never done an event in my life. Really? By November last year, I had done 13 events with about 2,000 attendees between <sighs> March and November. Wow. That's between, between That's between slow money and future banking. So... That's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's yeah. A lot. So Black, but Black Excellence was the fourth event. And for that one, and what I really wanted to do was look at the community and look at talent within the community and just showcase that. And there was interesting to the kind of feedback because a lot of the stuff that I do with Slow Money focuses on the black and minority ethnic group. Sourcing talent from there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when I posted this event online, there was a lot of interesting reaction to it. This is even last year before before the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Wow. Yeah, and Stephanie actually had posted something online um, and someone had commented saying that the event was racist. What? Yeah. So that whole experience last year prepared me very well for what happened this year. Okay, okay. 
Okay, and that was Black Excellence. Okay. But it was a great event, as you say. I, it was a great event. Yeah. I loved it. The I, talent, I loved it as well. the audience, the people that were in the audience were so good. The questions, the engagement, mm. you know, the, the stuff that people took away. All of the people, Stephanie, Aisha, TJ, they, the follow-ups they've had with people since that event. Really? Really strong. So Strong. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. One, one, powerful, powerful. That was a powerful event. Um, yeah, definitely was a event to remember for 2019. 2019? Yeah, 2019. Yeah. Even, even I'm starting to mix up the years. <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's, all, it's one I'm, of those. Even I'm starting to mix up the years, yeah. But, but so we, after that event, we had the Future Banking Conference, which was, I guess, yeah, one another event that I was really happy with because in that event, we had probably about 350 people attend. And we, again, we had the panel events, speakers, workshops, looking at, diversity in fintech the, actually the subject was attracting inclusive talent okay in fintech and similarly you know we had one of the things that impressed me and i just enjoyed the most was just the diversity in the room so many people from different backgrounds different ages different mm-hmm. genders conversations yeah wow powerful definitely powerful and one thing i do like about slow money is um your slogan um, <laughs> turn dreams turn into dreams income, income streams. streams. Did you did you come up? Did you come up with that from I did. Big? It, it, it sounds like it sounds like something that he would say. Like yeah. turn dreams, turn into dreams into income streams. Yeah, it's, it's baby, that, baby. Kind of, that kind of flow. It just sounds like something he would say because the way he was the way he would rhyme with his raps. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a bit like that. Cause I know you like big. Yeah, I do. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Yeah. And how do you how do you manage like how do you manage all of this like because you've you've got your hands in different. Um, different investment um, strategies. Like, how do you how do you balance your job investing into all the in fintech and investing into property? Like, how do you manage your how do you manage your time? How do you do all of that? It's a great question. Um, I think sometimes I do it better than other times. <laughs> it varies. I don't know if there's a magic formula, but the key for me was there was a point in my life when I used to go to work, come home have dinner, watch yeah. TV, okay. go to sleep. Wow. But that was it. That was it. That was it. Go to sleep. That was it. Ooh. Go to work, come home, eat, go to sleep. Okay. So it's, was that because some of your investments are passive? No, that was because I wasn't invested. <laughs> you wasn't invested in it. So would you say you look kind of lost motivation? Or? This was before. So this was before and... I guess that phase of my life, I was maybe, you know, just like everybody else. I'd come home, I'd feel like nine, nine to five, eight till seven was tiring. Yeah. I feel like I didn't have energy to do anything. Okay. I feel like I just wanted to rest and get ready for the next day. Mm. And so as I was doing that, I realized, you know, that's not really living. That's just existing day to day. And I wanted to do the stuff that I always wanted to do. I wanted to do the entrepreneurship stuff. I wanted to help people develop. I wanted to do all of those things. Mm. So it really was a question of if I want to do the things I want to do, then I'm I'm going to have to find time. I, you know, it's not it's not like yeah, makes sense. But then as I start doing stuff, so instead of coming home from work and watching The Wire, if I come home. <laughs> But if I come home from work and instead of watching the wire, I read a book. 
this is you know this is what I was saying so earlier. Start to replace like your entertainment activities. With, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. And then so replacing those activities meant that I got the time, and then eventually I realized that I'm I'm reading Rich Dad Poor Dad instead of watching The Wire, and then I finished reading Rich Dad Poor Dad so I can go online and look at stock instead of watching The Wire. And then I just, you know, slowly replace those activities. And then eventually, I think I just find, you just you just find time. Mm. And one of the things that I thought at the time and even now is if I look at the people that I admire, mm-hmm. they do lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we all have 24 hours in a day. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. It's just how you use it. I remember Ryan Leslie said this, we all have 24 hours in a day. It's, you know, it's what you do in your, with your time. We all, we all have 365 days in a year. Yeah. And that's what makes us all equal. You know, we may have, some have more money than others, but we all have have the the same same time. time. And And time is money. See, so I see all these people who are, you know, running CEOs of companies, CEOs of multiple companies, executive director, have a family, have business, you know, are traveling the world, going all of this stuff. How do they do it? And that's when I was like, actually, yeah. if they can do it, I can do it. That's that's a valid point. You have to think about how these people are doing it so that you can do it too. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. Okay. Oh, so crazy. But I think I think one point I make is that for me, if you want to actually achieve stuff, the key thing is that you need to have a plan. You need to have you need to wake up every day with a plan. You need to wake up every day and understand that actually this is what I want to do today. This yeah. is what I want to achieve today. And then build on that. And it's those, for me personally, it's those micro gains on a day to incremental day-to-day basis. Very true. Because it all compounds at the end of the day. Compound. What did, what did Warren Buffett say? Is it compound interest the eighth wonder of the world? Is it him that said that? They said it was Einstein that <laughs> said Einstein it. But said that. Warren Buffett said that um, compound interest, um, those who understand it, get it. Those who don't understand it, pay it. Oof, that's powerful. Yeah. Those that don't understand it, they pay it. Yeah. It's powerful. Exactly. And because, it's, because it's compounding against you. It's compounding against you. And I think one of the thing, one of the things that I've learned, when you talk actually when you ask me the question about how do I do all of this stuff, yeah. I would say that productivity compounds. Yeah. So if you do something, you get better at it, which means it takes you less time. Yeah. Which means you can do more. Yeah. That's compounding. Yeah. So if you do stuff enough, your productivity in that task will compound. It's true. And likewise, knowledge compounds. So if you read a book today, you might not take so much from the book today, but if you read another book tomorrow, another book tomorrow, and another book tomorrow, by the fifth book, you learn something about that first book because that knowledge has been compounded over all of those books. That little bit that you've got has been compounded. It's true. And it all kind of like puts puts together all these building blocks in your mind and everything just connects. That's the beauty of like, reading all these books and learning these different things. It just makes everything connect. Like yeah. Connect 4. And I love that game. <laughs> it's a great game. You it's should play game. it one time. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, um, so just to bring this to a close, Crazy. Yes. Um, my, my customary question to all my guests. So when someone says Accra to you, what thoughts, feelings, vibes, emotions come to mind? Whenever I think of Accra, I think of getting off the plane and being hit by that heat and humidity. <laughs> That's like my, because that, that's always my first thought of Accra, because yeah. that's, that's when I know that I'm home. It is, yeah. Yeah, Kotoko. Kotoko International Airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's Accra to me. Yeah, feeling the new airport though. New airport's awesome. Fantastic, yeah, world class. Air conditioning, yeah. scanners. I was there on Christmas, pre-COVID, yeah. 
and they had yeah. heat detectors for people. Really? Yeah, it was like being in I Thailand. Don't, I don't remember seeing because I was there as well, but I don't remember seeing heat heat detectors. Yeah, I saw. I, I they like they were checking my temperature. Oh, okay, maybe they did, but I don't remember going through. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. When that. when I me- I remember clearly because the last time I saw that was probably in Thailand. Okay. They don't have those in Europe. Europe ain't that advanced. True. Yeah, yeah. Third I mean, world Europe. Certain countries have it, but you don't. UK is just mm. they, they just whatever. They're just there, aren't they? <laughs> but that was Christmas. So yeah, okay. the new airport is just hanging. I love it. Yeah, make sure you guys go check it out if you haven't been to Ghana in a while. Yeah, crazy. Uh, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Um, hit me up on socials. So LinkedIn at Kwesi Afum or Instagram at Kwesi Afum or Twitter at. <laughs> <laughs> He's you everywhere. get the picture. He's everywhere. Yeah, but make sure you check out slowmoneyclub.com mm-hmm. and futurebanking.co.uk, I think. If you're into fintech, check out futurebanking.co.uk and let's connect. We're looking for volunteers. We've got the conference coming mm-hmm. in November. And if you're into financial literacy, financial intelligence and property investing, make sure you check out slowmoneyclub.com. Thank you very much, Crazy, for coming on the show. My pleasure, sir. My pleasure. Take care. We've got to do this because of COVID, huh? <laughs> yes, COVID. We'll we'll have everything in the show notes, thesoundofcrowd.com. Thanks for listening and catch you in the next one. Thank Take you. care.